Formula Access. Today, we have Stefan Johansson. You guys, I, I actually sent an email to Felix Rosenquist to get him on the show for you. And um, come to find out, Stefan is his manager. And I thought, man, you know what? I bet people would want to hear this story too. So I sent an email to Stefan, asked him to be on the show. He jumped at the opportunity, took us a hot minute just to put the uh, schedules together, but uh, we finally made it work. You guys, we talk about you know what it's like to be a manager, why drivers need a manager, the role that they play, his history in Formula One, driving for a Ferrari, how he got a job with Ferrari, McLaren, uh, 24-hour Le Mans. I mean, this guy's a legend. <sighs> You will not be you will not be upset with this. So enjoy. Stefan's a great guy. I really, really enjoyed the time. And as usual, there'll be a part two. Appreciate it. Enjoy, guys. Formula Access, welcome. You guys, we have a really, really special guest today. I actually was reaching out to somebody else and I came across his name, not fully knowing his massively historical background. And I saw his title and I thought a driver manager, that would be a really interesting guest with all of the crazy, silly season conversations going on and all the uh, driver dynamics that work within IndyCar and Formula One. I thought this would be a really good uh, conversation to have. And then after I sent the email, I did a quick Google search and thought, holy cow, uh, let's get this guy on. He's got a robust history. Today, we have Stefan Johansson. Stefan, it's an honor to have you, man. Thank you. It's an honor for me too. Appreciate it. I I was going through... I always go, Wikipedia is the quickest source of kind of season by season, year by year background of just like series results and all that stuff. And I always dive into that real quick. If I ever have a driver, especially the younger drivers. And I went through and it's Ferrari McLaren. And I was like, why, why, why does this name not hit me so quickly? And, you know, again, it goes back to, to IndyCar as well, but I'm just like, I'm actually honored going through all this, an Italian myself. I'm really, really thankful that uh, you agreed to come on and I'm glad we can make our schedules connect. Uh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. Absolutely. You, uh, you're more than a manager. You've driven, you know, at the highest levels of Formula One done the 24 hour Le Mans a uh, number of times and and some of the driver guests that I've had on is not only something that they've done as well but as a dream of theirs to compete and and you know as well as world endurance so I I'm really really thankful to have you on the show I really kind of want to play around the edges of, of a driver manager in our conversation but um, just just real high level for fans that don't that don't know you or just don't really know your kind of legendary history. Who who is Stefan? Yeah, good question. <laughs> well, I mean, most of my life since uh, since I was eight years old, I've been racing cars basically, and that's that's been my vocation in life. I did school for a few years and dropped out when I was fifteen, and 
decided I wanted to be a racing driver, moved to England when I was 18 and, uh, you know, straight off the bus, clueless about anything in life and uh, sort of managed to somehow figure it out and make it work and um, had a career in racing until about five or six years ago, actually, you know, when I finally called it a day. But uh, that's pretty much what I've done my whole life, you know. And um, in more recently and in parallel with that, I've always been very interested in art as well. So now I've actually sort of channeled all that energy into my art. And uh, and along with that, uh, since I was, well, during the whole period when I was driving too, I started doing the driver management as well. Started with Scott Dixon. When he came over, I had my own team back then in Indy Lights. This is 97, I think. Yeah, 96, 97. He came over from New Zealand and he ended up driving for my team in Indy Lights. And then we've been working together ever since. So it's uh, it's coming up to 25 years this year, actually. Uh, so it's a long, long, good relationship. He had a He had a series on Netflix that I caught. Oh, a couple of months ago. And I was actually, you know, I generally try to steer away from um, racing movie. I I didn't know it was an actual documentary that really kind of dug into his life. I was actually really impressed by that. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, in the New Zealand production team that did it. Yeah. It was, it was a good, good film. I thought it, it really was. I think it really kind of yeah. let people inside the, the life of, of a driver, you know, us fans all think it's glitz and glamor and, you know, you, you don't do anything but drive on the weekends and, you know, and the pressure is like, you know, Oh, it's everything but that really truthfully, you know, the, the, it's, um, you know, it's a lot of work and, and, uh, you know, a lot of focus on just and pressure and, and the dedication, you know, and just, but primarily really just the, the driving is really the easy part. For, mm. for a driver you know i mean that's something you're born with a talent and you can drive a car fast you know most of the guys in the top level have no problem with that you know but it's all the other bits and pieces you got to figure out along the way you know the the politics and the making the car work in the best way for you which is really the the key you know to work closely with your engineer so you see all these glamorous life at the racetrack on the race weekends, but the drivers, you know, they barely ever leave the the engineering room till about 10 o'clock at night. You have a quick meal while you're talking to your engineers and go over all the data and everything. So there's there's a lot a lot of work involved. So so kind of with all that being said, <laughs> what exactly does a does a driver manager do? Like well, I think it's different for all of them, you know, it depends. I mean, but um, I mean, obviously, you take care of the business side for the driver, uh, negotiate all the contracts, and oftentimes also then take care of the sort of administrative things, you know, insurance, banking, investments in some cases, or, you know, and pretty much anything that comes up, you know, that that I can be of help with or a manager can be of help with, you know uh i mean it varies from day to day it's like it's just like reg general regular life you know it's uh there's always a couple of fires to put out uh, every week you know and then uh, and that's kind of what we're there for you know does does that differ from an agent is it the same thing yeah i mean in in racing we don't 
I mean, it's, I think it's different from the entertainment world in that you have agents, then you have managers, you have this, that. I mean, you pretty much do everything, you know. It's unusual you have both, I think, in our in our case. So, so the manager generally. But in my case, I think also, which is a little bit unique for me, is that I'm a, you know, I've been driving my whole life. That's really what I've been doing, you know. I never set out to be a manager. That's just something that kind of happened along the way, you know, and... Uh, but I think I can be of help at certain times for the drivers. You know, when you have when you have a rough day or you know go through a rough period, maybe with a car and this and that. You know, and something doesn't gel in the team. You know, it's it's always nice to have someone who understand what you're talking about. You know, if you want to blow some steam, and you, or just you're frustrated over something. You know, because I've done this for forty five years now as a professional driver, you know, so I've kind of been through almost every scenario known to man, you know, at some stage, you know, so there's always some fallback, you know, where you can just relate to exactly what they're saying. You say, well, maybe you know, why don't you think of this or do that, you know, or don't get too aggressive about this, you know, you just kind of be patient or what whatever it may be, you know, but this just it's I think it's good just to have a sounding board that actually understands what they're talking about you know is it is it that valuable i mean i know i i personally feel like it's massively valuable to have a former driver at the highest levels kind of managing your day-to-day as as complex as motorsports is it's it's not really like working for oh i don't know coca-cola where there's a very kind of line of succession to the top you know motorsports is kind of all over the place yeah and you're blindfolded and you have earmuffs on and like there's landmines and all sorts of stuff everywhere yeah absolutely and you know at the end of the day you're dealing with people you know and Hmm. uh and the people in the end i mean it's a small community you know and uh the more people you know and the more you know about them it's obviously going to help you in many ways you know in many cases when you're when you're dealing with your driver and the teams they're with and all the rest of it you know so they're certainly um helpful in in a lot of situations i would say yeah when when you talk about you know, managing investments and and just kind of administrative type tasks i mean you're working and just for people that are listening you know a, a way of supporting a driver up the junior ranks is to invest in their future earnings is that what you help kind of facilitate that and manage that and communicate to those folks for a driver. Yeah, to to a large degree. Yeah, and the very, I mean, the early years are always the difficult ones, you know. And it's a from a management point of view, obviously, there's very little reward for the you know if you pick up a young guy and you believe in him, you know, you think he's going to be the real deal. Uh, uh, you know, there's not a lot of fruit the first three four years, you know, so. But then, you know, if they do make it and, and they start earning good money, then obviously it, it, it sort of pays off in the longer term, you know. But it's, um, I mean, frankly, I could think of probably 100 businesses that would, would be more profitable <laughs> than doing driver management, you know, with, if you add up the, the effort you put into it, you know, and everything. But I love racing, you know, it's my life and, and I enjoy what I do and, and, and I really enjoy working with these guys, you know, and sort of see them blossom, you know, and and just if I 
contribute in any degree, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, just little things, you know, but you can sort of see something click sometimes, you know, and then, ah, and they just kind of go to a whole new level, you know, because it's it's 90% of the performance of any sportsman, I believe, not just racing drivers, is, is in the head. Once you get to a certain level, you know, everybody is good. You mm -hmm. can't rely on talent anymore. It's 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 what goes on here. You know, that's really what makes the difference. What do you what do you look for in a driver? So, I mean, are you out scouting? Do you hear word of mouth? You know? Some of it you hear from other guys, you know, that that runs junior categories. Sometimes you get a call like this guy is really something special, you know. So uh, so then you sort of start keeping an eye on them you know and, and meet them maybe and talk you know and meet the parents and so on you know and but there's a lot of factors that come into play there as well especially in the early years you know because more careers have been ruined by parents than anything else I think you know at the end of the day unfortunately it's just the fact of fact of the matter you know um so you know, a lot of factors that will prevent a super talented driver from actually making it um you know for for many different reasons you know none none is the same as the other but it could be anything really i i have this like deep long-term desire before i die to be a driver's manager and a team principal don't know why i love pressure i love chaos i love people and I well love... you're gonna get all of that in 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 space <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I, you know, I, I don't quite know or understand how this is all accumulated, but a lot of parents are coming to me now and, you know, you know, they're putting me on, you know, advisory boards for drivers and just having conversations and, and seeking my advice. And, you know, it's like mm -hmm. any business, but, you know, fundamentally, you know, I, I, I don't know anything about what you do and other than, you know, how you, how you sell, how you negotiate deals, how you find people and make connections and, and whatnot that it is what it is, but I, I, I am fascinated with, with that role that you do because, you know, I've got a son that carts, you know, he's played, you know, club soccer in his life and your parents are crazy and just, mm. you know, it's, you, you have to believe in your children, but sometimes I feel like a lot of it's unfounded. You know, it's like yeah. they step in a cart and it's like, they're going to be in Formula One. And it's like, eh. I mean, you, that's what I said earlier on, you know, it definitely is, uh, it, and I get it completely. I mean, it's very hard to be objective as a parent, you know, I mean, obviously you think the world of your children, you know, and you absolutely want them to be as successful as they can be, you know, but um it's it's uh, at some stage they just have to understand is they they can only go so far you know with their contribution and then they just got to step out of the picture and kind of be there but not get involved in the daily sort of routine of how you know how to bring the kid to the next level you know how do you how do you manage that because i know i mean parents can be so over, I don't even want to say overbearing because even the best of intentioned or like the parents that kind of see it for what it really is still tend to kind of like not let mm. go of stuff. Like how, how do you manage who makes decisions, who communicates, 
how decisions get made or you know where connections exist yeah, I mean, it's again, you know, there's really no, there is no set method or set formula or anything, you know, because every, every case is completely unique and different on its own. And it could be, like I said, that, I mean, the toughest part is always getting the finance, getting the money together, you know, so the kid can be with the best team and do his job, you know, driving the car. So you try to leverage whatever connections the parents have if any, you know, in the beginning, um, that's normally the first step, you know, there's always maybe mom and dad have an angle somewhere, you know, either their own business or connections they have. So, so if I can step in and kind of go through, you know, kind of get an understanding of all that, and maybe through all my connections, I might have something that might be able to connect the dots to you know, to make something happen that you can leverage a deal somehow, you know, uh, and then the team you talk to, they might have another component that could add to that as well, you know, so at the end of the day, it's just really a matter of connecting the dots, you know, like anything in life, you know, that's kind of how business happens, isn't it, you know, and, and uh, sometimes it works, sometimes more often than not, it doesn't work, frankly. Um, and then often, you know, I mean, I've stepped away from several drivers because I just couldn't get a good feeling with, you know, the whole, the, the setup, you know, with, with the parents and everything else. So it's, then it's better to just walk away rather than, you know, uh, having unnecessary drama, you know, that might never go to anywhere. Cause like I said, you invest so much time in the, in the early years. And you can only, you know, in my case, I mean, you only have so much bandwidth, you know, so that you really got to kind of really hone in on something that you think is going to work, you know. What is what is the dy dynamic that's worked best for you? Uh, I mean, well, the, the, first of all, you got to believe, you know, you got to have that feeling with the driver, you know, that this guy have the potential to go all the way, you know. And again, you know, there's not everybody's different but the, I guess the one sort of common denominator is really they they have a sort of quiet confidence about them you know they know how good they are and they 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 but you know they don't necessarily you know brag about it or anything but you can sort of tell that they they're very confident that they can get the job done you know that they they can they they are winners you know they have that kind of winning mentality how uh, how does a driver deal come together i mean you have a sea of drivers and a finite amount of teams and you know i, I think as fans we hear about all of these you know all of these drivers that came so close to formula one or so close to indycar and you know we hear it years later you yeah. know how this all like i i think like even in the like in the piastri situation in formula one like how does this whole thing work? I mean, how do these deals come 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 to fruition? Sometimes it's really, you know, just I wouldn't say luck, but you got to be at the right place at the right time. You know, it's a lot of it is to do with the timing, and and uh, so the, again, you know, there's really no set method or formula to it it's just 
you know, perseverance and and not giving up. You know, if you if you really believe strongly enough in yourself, you just keep pushing, and eventually a door will open somewhere. You know, but in Formula One, of I used to always say before, like if you're good enough and you believe in enough in yourself, you will make it eventually. But Formula One now, because there's only twenty drivers, it's it's become incredibly difficult. You know to even make it there and especially i mean you almost have to be part of one of the systems now the red bull the mercedes the, the mclaren or, or ferrari academy you know i mean or the alpine and if you're not it's i'd say it's almost impossible to make it to formula one because you, know? you get picked up early on by these guys too you know and then you bear in mind they probably all have you know a number of i mean really good junior drivers on their in their system you know and unfortunately not even one often makes it you know so, is that uh, i mean is that tough. it is that it and just i like i have a list of questions just to kind of keep us on topic like you you have so beautifully transitioned from question to question like almost in sync with my questions you're like you're almost a step ahead of me so yeah <laughs> keep, keep doing that you make it really easy for me um so so when you have the difference so when you're coming up you know either you know the road to indy or you're coming up the formula series what like what is it the differentiator like between say a piastri and a like a drugovic these are both f2 champions you know they have won their respective championship yeah mm. one is being you know fought over by many teams and one is now a reserve driver not that either one is more or less talented than the other but like is i mean is that the manager that has synced all that up at the end of the day like is that years and years of like your role in getting them there um i mean it's to a certain degree uh but i think in in uh, i mean piastra for example has been there, there was obviously something special with these guys because he's been hailed as a new, you know, like the wonder kid for, you know, several years. And he's obviously won everything you can win to, to get to that position. Mm -hmm. um, but having said that, you know, I think there's been plenty of cases like him where once they get to Formula One, they kind of just, they just hit a wall, you know, they don't, because... Uh, the thing is with F1 is that, you know, it, it's so much the mental game and you got to be unbelievably strong mentally. I think that's why Max, for example, is like incredibly strong mentally. And, you know, he's and he's got the talent to back it up. You know, Lewis was the same. He just came in and just just immediately, you know, just couldn't wouldn't take any prisoners, you know, with all the all the sort of internal politics with Alonso at the time you know it just didn't face him I mean in fact he stood up and almost played the game better than than Fernando did even the first year you know so so and that's what makes him you know such a unbelievable successful driver of course you know at the end of the day how do you how do you prepare a driver for that because it exists everywhere. Well, I mean, it can, you know, I think that's something they really got to do on their own. You know, that's, uh, I mean, you can sort of see 
and point out some of the weaknesses and that you maybe got to step it up a little bit here and there, you know, and do. But uh, I mean, that's something that's kind of a lot of a lot of it is built in as well. I think it's just who they are, their personality, you know. You can train to a certain degree, and obviously you learn as you go along, you know, with to play the the, the political game which goes on mm. in every team, but it's much, much, much more prevalent in F1 than it is in IndyCar, for example. You know. It, I mean, yeah, F1 is really the the ultimate in every way, you know, and and uh, it, it is it's a tough, tough game to be in, tough, tough environment. How do those how do those systems differ? You know, I've 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 worked with a couple of drivers that are in USF 2000 now and one that is, you know, an Indy Pro. Like yeah. what are those is is Indy car more mechanical and procedural where Formula One is more political and yeah, I mean, well, F1's always been very political, you know, and so on. But, uh, I mean, it's a much tougher environment to be in as a driver, you know, no question about it. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like a breath of fresh air when I came from Formula One over to IndyCar, you know, because all the drivers are good buddies, you know, you hang out between races and stuff, you know, and and uh, even internally in the team, you know, it's a kind of a level of friendship. I mean, you have... In F1, but I mean, the first order of protocol is to beat your teammate always, of course. That's sure. especially in F1 because that is truly the only yardstick you have, you know, because the cars are so different and, you know, you can't, you know, irrespective, you could be the best driver in the world. If you don't have the best car, you're not going to win the world championship. It's as simple as that. It's never happened, <laughs> never will happen. You know, the car is, you, you got to have the best car to win, basically. So, uh, so you, the, the process is then to get to that stage, you know, where, and I think that again, where you know, I'm a huge admirer of Lewis, you know, I think when he left McLaren to go to Mercedes, everybody thought he was crazy. Yeah. But he did his homework, obviously he, you know, he talked to enough people and he could see where Mercedes was heading and he could probably see where McLaren was heading. So, you know, at the time it didn't sound like the smartest thing in the world, but it obviously ended up being an incredibly good career move, you know, you know, one thing I love about about Lewis is his just his story, you know, of of you know, not coming from something other than just coming from a, you know, a family of grit and grind. Mm. And you mm. know, it it I think to to a lot of youth it it provides a level of hope that, you know, even if you don't come from money but you're willing to work and you're connected and you're willing to, you know, throw yourself out there. Yeah, you can, you can still do. No, it. I think he's a, he's absolutely a role model for any young driver, you know. And what I really like about him, uh, not only his background and how he got there, but more than anything, I think he's brought back the sort of pure hard racing again, not driving people off the road, you know. Like became unfortunately, you know as great as Sana was, you know, he changed the game forever, really, uh, with his, you know, just the way he he drove. And the, before then, it was kind of an unwritten code among all drivers, you know, that you go this far, but you don't really go any further than that, you know. Mm. Whereas that kind of just, just tossed that out of the window, you know. And then, of course, Michael came along and took it to a whole new level again, you know. So, but I think Lewis has now brought it back to, 
more of a pure fair and hard racing you know i mean he's he's never going to give you an inch more than than what he needs but i don't you know i i, I do respect him highly as uh you know the way he races as well which i think i hope is an inspiration to all the young the new generation of drivers coming through i agree i agree how so it, earlier in the conversation you kind of got into you know how you got into motorsports but like how did you how did you actually get into motorsports what what started this so my my dad was racing club racing back in sweden so i sort of grew up with it you know and then he got me a go-kart when i was eight and then you know so i started racing i didn't actually start racing till i was 12 because that was the minimum age back then but i was driving from eight years old and um yeah and that's you know I played ice hockey when I was younger. I was, you know, recently good at ice hockey. And, but then, you know, I took the decision to try to have a career in, in racing when I was 18, moved to England and, uh, you know, clueless and penniless and try to figure, figure things out as I went along, you know, but uh, yeah, it worked out somehow. What, what is the difference between drivers then and now? I mean, you, you went to England penniless and we're driving for some of the biggest names in, in Formula One. And now penniless means you're, you know, you're not racing. Yeah, I mean, I've, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know enough about the background of all the drivers uh, that's around. But, uh, you know, I think there's been, there's probably been a few, you know, that, that didn't come from a particularly... I mean, Lewis, I think, is a good example, you know. I mean, I think they they just it was just hard work, you know, and grit with from his dad and, and his family, you know, and everybody and, and to and you know, obviously he made it, you know, but they picked him up pretty early on. Obviously, McLaren picked him up very early on and sort of supported his career. Uh I got back then it was Marlborough who was the big sponsor, you know. So I got picked up by Marlborough, and that's kind of what sort of to set my career on its path, you know, once I got support from them. They, kind of, they really created the Red Bull system, you know, uh, back then. It was the same thing. They gave a little bit to a lot of drivers. And then it was up to you to figure out the rest, you know. So with that, there was enough to keep you going. But you had to work really hard to, you know, to make it happen and to get, in a, you know, work your way into the best team in the junior categories and so on, you know, to be able to win championships and show how good you were you know was it the the entrepreneur in your in you that kind of helped i guess fill in all the gaps yeah i mean i don't know if i even knew what an entrepreneur was back then you know but it was just trying to figure figure it out somehow you know and and, and do what you would do what you got to do you know and uh, i had no idea what i was doing most of the time I'd, I'd say i mean it's you know but weirdly somehow it managed to work out you know you check off all the boxes you dropped out of high school or you dropped out of school at 15. I mean, I think we generally don't fit the, yeah. the school yeah. protocol. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I mean, one thing I'd sort of now when you reflect back on all that, you know, it was probably the best years of my life in many ways, you know, because it's very formative years hmm. when you got, you know, the, what, I mean, literally there was days when I had to choose between eating and put enough fuel in the tank of my road car to get to a test session somewhere. So of course, you know, you, you, you put the fuel in the car and you go and do try to do the best you can and grab, 
whatever opportunity was presented to you, you know, to do, to show that you could get the job done. And, uh, you know, little by little, it's a process the whole way, like everything is, you know. So, so your, your dad got you in, and this is like, to me, this is the defining factor of almost, well, I would say every driver that I talk to is either a father or a grandfather is obsessed with cars or motorsports or racing. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a question of getting me a card or can we get a card? And then the rest is generally history. Do you, are yeah. you, were you, were you close with him as you moved to England or did he go with you or? Uh, he didn't go with me all the time. I was on my own most of the time, but he came often to races and so on, you know, and, and I went back to Sweden often whenever I had the opportunity, you know, and there was a gap or anything. And cause I also went home trying to, find some sponsors, you know, mostly relying on sponsors from Sweden back then, obviously, rather than, you know, from, from, uh, from abroad. How old were you when you, when you left home? 18. Okay. Yeah. Went straight from my mom's basement. <laughs> actually, I, weirdly, I actually lived in my car for two years almost. I didn't even have a home in England, you know, I just kind of struggled along, found a bed here and there every now and then, you know, from friends and what have you. But, uh, did yeah, your mom was, know about that? If I think back and now, I was like, there's no way I would have done it again. <laughs> did your did your mom know this? I didn't really tell him how bad it was. You know, I just kind of pretended it was all good, you know. But uh, yeah, I didn't because then they would have told me to come back home, you know, and and, uh, and forget it, you know. So I, did, I told them barely enough what they needed just to kind of keep the thing going, you know. I, so I grew up in an Italian family. So my mom's primary mission in life was to make sure my belly was full and that I was warm, you know, so yeah, every yeah. time, you know, after I moved yeah. out, she's like, do you need groceries? You know, do you need a new winter jacket? You know, are you okay? Yeah, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> Same here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If I would have told her I was living in a car, I, she would have had me arrested or dragged. Yeah, that's why I didn't, I didn't want to say anything, you know, I just kind of just kept kept it going somehow so in in all of your your days of motorsports like what you because you have a pretty legendary career i what how do you have a pinch me moment in a career like yours like what what was that defining moment where you're just like i can't even believe this is my life or that i'm here well i'm as i mean I think the most, you know, everybody's dream, well, my dream was to be a Formula One driver, first of all. And my second dream was to be a Ferrari driver. You know, that's like, you know, every young kid wants to drive for Ferrari. I mean, young, old, I mean, everybody wants to drive for Ferrari, even to this day. So being hired by Enzo Ferrari and, and meeting him the first time and, you know, doing a deal, which really happened in, you know, overnight, literally. Uh, was probably I mean that was certainly the defining moment of my career because that you know lifted everything you know and and has done for for the rest of my life probably you know because being a Ferrari driver is something you know you you it comes goes with you your whole life literally what what is that what is that pressure to be surrounded by the Tifosi I mean 
what's that like to sit in that seat? I mean, that's a huge Yeah, I mean, it is. Obviously, it's the ultimate, you know, in, in, in every aspect, really. But obviously, the pressure is also massive because drama for Ferrari is, is, you know, it's the greatest thing ever, but it's also a massive amount of pressure and a massive amount of internal politics and all the stuff that goes on, you know. So there was a, it was a lot to learn in a very short period of time, you know, because I was actually... It was, as it were, it was my first full-time F1 drive. I never had a full season before Ferrari. I, I did, did a lot of stand-in drives for other teams, you know, but I never had a full season. How did that come together? Um, well, it, it sort of started in 83 when I was driving for Spirit Honda. Uh, I did, you know, I was the first driver for Honda when they came back into Formula One. And uh, with the first race was did, we did was a race of champions at Brands Hatch in England. And, you know, the car was basically a modified F2 car, the Spirit F2 car that we bolted a thousand horsepower F1 and in the back of. And the car was massively overweight. I think it was like, I don't know, 50 kilos overweight or something. And it was just weird circumstances. So it was freezing cold, springtime in England, you know, Bransack, pouring with rain. Track was always cold. And the tires were, they no one could get the tires up to temperature. So the cars were like really nervous and twitchy, whereas our car was so heavy that we actually blistered some of the tires. <laughs> so we had huge grip, you know, and, and it made us look like, 10 times better than we really were you know and of course so we were actually fastest in the free practice of all of them in front of ferrari williams mclaren you name it i mean we were the quickest car there and everybody's like who the hell is this guy you know and this spirit <laughs> honda so dalcio calzavari dario calzavari who was the team manager for ferrari at the time started you know coming down and looking around and you know sort of started chatting so we started to develop a relationship early on and we sort of kept in contact just generally, you know, and then fast forward then to the end of 84. Um, uh, I got, I did the last four races with Tolman, uh, mm -hmm. which was the team Ayrton Senna drove for at the time as well, uh, when Johnny Chicotta was injured. So the final race of the year when Nicky Lauda won the championship by half a point, Hmm. Nicky and I were fighting the whole race for fourth place and he had to finish better to get the championship and Enzo Ferrari was watching the race from back back down in Maranello obviously and uh and then next thing I know I get a phone call like a week or two later on and say you know we want to talk uh, uh, see what goes on in the future and so we agreed to do that but I already had a contract with Tolman then fourth just done a two-year contract with Tolman so we just said well let's keep in touch we do some testing this and the other maybe and then weirdly Tolman the following year in 85 couldn't there was some political issue with their tires so they mm -hmm. couldn't get any tires at the beginning of the season and after the first race in in Brazil the, the first Grand Prix of the year Ferrari fired Rene Arnoux and we, I really frankly don't know to this day. I don't think anyone knows the true story why he got fired. But anyway, I got a phone call like two days after the British, or like maybe a week after the Brazilian Grand Prix from Marco Piccinini, who was the team manager at the time. 
uh, asked me to come and meet him at the Savoy in London, because I lived in London at the time. And uh, and I went over there and he said, well, um, we'd like to offer you to drive for the rest of the year. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so just right out of the blue, you know, and then obviously I had to contact Alex Hawkridge, who was the owner of the Tolman team. And uh, he very kindly, you know, released me from my contract with them. And uh, and two days later, I'm in, in Maranello meeting with Enzo you know at his secret office in in uh, in Modena in fact in the old factory in Modena and uh we shook hands did the deal they took me to the factory that evening to make a sort of a hodgepodge seat did about five laps maybe 10 laps shakedown at Fiorano and then we flew to Portugal for the Grand Prix that weekend <laughs> so it like literally happened in less than five days the whole thing how I mean how quickly does the world find out when I mean is it in Portugal, well, they found out quickly in this case because there was no time to, you know. I would literally, with Thursday morning, we were in Portugal, you know, for uh, preparing for the for the race that weekend. So it all happened from Tuesday until Thursday. The whole thing was done, you know. Yeah, Phenomenal. yeah, and it sort of changed my life really from then on. You know, it's no, you know, it's, uh, everything everything changed from that moment on. Yeah. What? What didn't you expect in motorsports when you got there? What what surprised you? Um, uh, well, I guess if anything, it was the naivety of, you know, how cutthroat it is, and the the pol the politics in F one in particular, I guess, was something that was tough to 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 sort of wrap your head around, you know. And I think it would have. Certainly with Ferrari, it would have certainly been helpful if I'd had a couple of seasons in another team before them to learn the ropes a little bit more about the business, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, you learn as you go along. But I wish I had, I wish I was offered to drive now with the wisdom I have and knowing how the business works a lot more, obviously. Um, and I think it's the same for all drivers, you know. And I didn't really have a proper manager at the time who was there full time with me so had I had that someone who knew the business and knew the paddock and knew all the people in the paddock would have probably helped a lot do you I mean do you feel like I mean drivers are kids you know like mm, yeah and even even I think you know I mean I'm 43 but like even a even a driver at the tail end of their career is still a kid I still feel like a yeah. kid. Is it? That, hey, I'm 66. That, I, 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 so if you make it to 50, you never have to grow up, apparently. So I'm I'm <laughs> right on target. <laughs> is, is trust, I mean, is trust really in a cutthroat world? Is is that one person you can rely on? Like the Angela Colon, you know, your performance coach or your manager, like that, that person that you know you can just kind of let go around and get get a real sense of what's happening that not a yes man not a you know a I don't know what do you call it like somebody that's just out to you know suck your salary out. yeah I mean I think it's unbelievable I wish I'd had that throughout my career someone who really really knew the business and someone you know you can just trust a hundred percent not only trust him in terms of being honest and and you know ethical but also trust in that his judgment's going to be the right one 
because I think I've had situations with my guys now where my experience and my judgments has definitely helped in creating situations that turned out to be good, you know, in, in the bigger picture. So I think I think that is very, very important. So. You were also a team owner too. What I mean, that's a totally different end of the spectrum. What what was that like? Yeah, I mean it's it's tough, you know. I mean it it's it's a lot of fun. I mean it's a very, very enjoyable if you have a full budget and you can plan ahead and you can hire the right people, put the you know r&d programs together you know do all the things you need to do to win you know because the one thing with being a team owner i mean if there was ten thousand hours a week it's not enough <laughs> there's always something else you can do to make things better you know it just never stops so it's an unbelievably intense and and sort of uh all-consuming job really you know because um, the the revenue the revenue for indie lights comes from drivers and sponsors right i mean you're not yeah yeah you you have to you have to forward plan through sponsorships and and drivers and yeah i mean sometimes I mean, you as a team you can get a little bit of sponsorship that's you know yours for the team in general but it, i mean i would say it's almost unheard of that you have a full budget you know that you can just go and hire a driver and put them in the car so you know, the drivers generally bring through their connections, you know, a good, good portion of the, the budget. And then, uh, you, you know, but there's no real revenue for the team outside of that, you know, outside of sponsorship or anything. There's no price money to speak of, you know, or anything like that. So it's really, you know, year to year, depending on who your drivers are and so on, you know, and the drivers in the junior categories, they don't stay. You know, I mean, they they want to move on. You can't have a driver in Indy Lights for five years. You know, they they if they're good, they'll move on to IndyCar or something else. You know, so never had the desire to jump up and get an IndyCar team. I had an IndyCar team for for a year actually. With yeah, with American Spirit team Johansson. Yeah, we started with we went Indy Lights, then we did sports car racing, and then we did IndyCar Champ Car. It was called back then. Uh huh. Yeah, did that for a year. And then, uh, but then the sponsors, the investors pulled out because uh, that was when this right when the split happened. So you know it was uh, it was a mess there for many years, as if you remember, between IRL and IndyCar. You know it really sort of killed single seater racing for many many years. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Man, that's that's terrible. And, yeah. and you're you're so now you're you're kind of connected to to Felix, who I originally reached out to. Um, yeah. To have you on the show and and scott as well yeah 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 very much so. yeah i mean they're you know both obviously you know very very involved in in everything they do really yeah felix yeah. has uh has has moved up the ranks i mean he's become kind of a yeah. high profile name yeah yeah i mean i started working with felix when he was doing formula three uh you know uh and he was kind of at the crossroads there, you know, it was, he didn't have a very good year, you know, and, uh, and uh, sort of had a good chat to him when before the Macau Grand Prix uh, at the end of the year, it was the final race of the year, which is a sort of a non-championship race, but it's a very prestigious race. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of, we just sat down and I said, look, 
I think you need to, you know what you need to do this weekend, don't you? Because it was like, you know, and it just sort of something I think just clicked, you know, and then he just smoked everybody, pole position, won both races, you know, and it just sort of that kind of took him to the next, the next level, you know, and then, um, then I managed to arrange, we actually got a free drive in Indy Lights. We came, we came over to do some testing that winter and he was blindingly fast, you know, so one of the teams, Ballardi, sort of put him in the car for, not for the full season, but the races he could do, because he was also racing in Japan that year. And uh, he won, you know, quite a few races. And then, But we also got him a test with Chip, with Chip Ganassi. The IndyCar teams had to put an Indy Lights driver in the car for a test, you know, so, and he did a terrific job, you know, and uh, and then the following year, he, you know, he ended up, driving next to Scott and the and and Chip's team. So that was, you know, a huge, huge result, obviously, for him. Yeah. Fantastic. So it is really, it's just the little things, you know, the circumstances that makes a huge difference sometimes. Just got to be at the right place at the right time. I I love the perspective of kind of your story of just having taken that journey, you know, Basically, you know the way through the maze, and now you're kind of taking the next generation through that. And even Scott, I mean, I would say, you know, that's a that's an amazing roadmap to to have at a, at a driver's side is somebody who can have a bad race or be in Macau and say, you know, wow, it's yeah. been a rough year. Well, Scott, Scott did the same thing, you know. I mean, there's there's these sort of you know pivotal moments, you know, when when things just change, you know. And I mean, he's been, I mean, to follow him and his career, you know, from when he literally was a 16 year old kid from New Zealand, you know, till what he's become today, not just as a driver, but as all as a human being as well, really, and how he's developed, you know, is is quite quite amazing, really, you know, because he's just, a, I mean. He's as a driver, he's he's one of the best in the world, in my opinion. You know, categorically of of all drivers out there, and as a person, he's just uh, he's just a phenomenal human being. That's I always think yeah. it's important to surround yourself with people like that. You know, yeah. professionally yeah. and personally, is just these. Yeah. You know, and I and I've gotten to meet people like you, and just people around motorsports are generally. A, just a different breed of person and i've really you know i've personally really appreciated that because I, you know now i'm i'm texting people you know race weekends and if i go to a race you know i'm texting people that are there you know yeah, but yeah. they're just it's not even so much of like can you do something for me but just to like to be able to communicate you know with these very very high performing people at a genuine level it's always really yeah. special for me. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, so so you actually go to some races now, or? Yeah, I actually. So the first race, a couple of years after I became a fan, so I became a fan of Formula One and the the winter between two thousand four and two thousand five. So Schumacher was coming off of his, you know, domination and you know, and, and the, the season where him and Alonzo and even Kimmy kind of duked it out mm -hmm. and just, I kind of understood the sport, but, you know, I had this really kind of dull office job at the time. 
And so it gave me a lot of internet time to like follow the news. And, and and even at that time, formula one had this like education section on their website where it would like, this is downforce, you know, this is mechanical grip and, you know, whatever. And, and I just, I started reading it and it was really interesting. I've always been kind of an, an innovative person. Okay. um, and then my son was born. And okay. so I was up all night, you know, feeding him. And it was like, oh, it's two o'clock on a, a Saturday night. You know, what's on Formula One? Yeah, That's yeah, it. This was yeah. before on demand. And and then yeah, yeah, I, sure. I had a friend give us tickets, my wife and I, to the 2007 US Grand Prix. And mm-hmm. for some reason, the night before we left for testing, we couldn't get babysitting or I, c- I can't remember what happened, but we couldn't go. And that was the whole tire debacle where nobody raised. Oh, oh that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And, and I just, I thought, wow, I can sit at home and I can watch everything. Yeah. Or I could go to a race and spend all this money and not see anything. And, right, right. and I just became kind of a TV fan. And, and this year I yeah. went to Coda for the first time. Okay. Yeah. And then I've, committed to all the races for next season and you know i went to saint pete earlier this year and mm-hmm. that was a really unique experience because indycar is really flexible about the paddock like you if you yeah, know yeah. somebody there, you can go somewhere so, so much easier to get access yeah yeah and yeah. then i went to coda and it was like you know i'd, I'd be texting with somebody you know in the garage right. they're like no <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Not, not happening you know you got to get a ticket and then you can come back, yeah. you know, well, All right. Yeah. So it's, it's a different experience, but it was fun. It was really, really fun. And I think, you know, I, I would say the moment where I thought, wow, I only get to see, you know, turn one, you know, and I get to see the extreme, you know, braking and acceleration out of turn one, the, the sound that the cars make, when they're coming past you is not really the engine as much anymore, but the, like the wind, you yeah. know, you can almost yeah. hear the downforce as yeah. they come yeah. through. It just, oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I could, I could totally disrespect your time and talk about Coda for hours, but um, I won't do that. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can do another one if you want. I mean, there's obviously a lot, lot, lot to cover. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I end every podcast either on the show or off off of recording, and everybody says we need to do this again. I I, I felt like we skimmed over the top of everything. Yeah. We never got to I mean, unpack. Are, well, that's the thing, you know. Like I said, I mean, this the, the business have so many layers. I mean, you could literally spend hours on every one of them if you wanted to. You know, I mean, we haven't even got into the sort of the the technical side of things, you know. And yeah, I mean, it's just endless really you know that's why i love racing i mean everybody gets the more you get into it the more and you start to understand a lot more you know it just it's a just so much of it you know that that uh that's fascinating in so many different ways i think it is it it for for me to you know my my son played soccer for a long time ended up breaking yeah. both of his ankles and you know just kind of said oh, wow. enough dad like i yeah. um I just, I, I don't want to spend my whole summer and, and a boot, you know, and, yeah. um, and we, we did spend a period of time where, you know, he wasn't playing any sports and it was difficult to connect with him and, you know, and, mm. 
and he did a he'd go karting with my dad and okay. uh, just for fun at a local karting place like a, you know you pay for a 20 laps or whatever and yeah um and then i signed him up for a summer camp when he got his boot off and um i was like you know, I know you don't want to do soccer. I know you don't want to do anything, but like we work. So, you know, you have to keep yeah. yourself busy during the summer. And I said, there's a cart track. They've got a, you know, they've got a summer camp and you basically show up in the morning and then you drive as much as you possibly can until the end of the day. And we pick you up. And, oh, okay. and cool. so we did that and I would pick him up and, you know, it was almost like he started speaking my language, you know, and it was like mm-hmm. break zones and, you know, yeah, and yeah. lap times yeah, and yeah. all this. And I was yeah. like, yeah. Huh. Oh, you're, you're speaking my language. You've never sat down and watched a race, yeah. with me, but you know, it, oh, cool. it was great. special. And we, we just, yeah. he wants to be a race engineer. You know, he's always wanted to be an engineer and I think he's really just yeah. gotten passionate. That's about what my son's doing too. He's actually studying in uh, North Carolina, Charlotte, that you, there's a great course there that also teaches you mechanical engineering, but it's race engineering is one of the add-ons, you know, so he's going to do that. Yeah. Do, do they have the formula student or formula SAE program over there? I think so. Yeah. They have some, some kind of program like that. Yeah. A lot of the kids that graduate there, they go straight into NASCAR, like immediately. And I think even F1 in some cases, it yeah. is a very, very good school apparently. Yeah. I'll keep that in mind. I the only one that I've found so far is Purdue, but North Carolina, I would much rather travel to North Carolina to visit him yeah. at school then yeah <laughs> in, in yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> where do you live we live in st louis so we're oh, st. Louis. okay right. so we're about a seven hour drive from indianapolis yeah 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 i used to live in indy so i used to do that drive every now and then you know for, for the race there obviously in st louis yeah yeah that's a that's a great race a great track you know we, yeah. we go we go there every weekend just for the you know they got a cart track in the circle yeah oh okay and, so that's where that's where we've spent most of our summer and and spring. Yeah. Great. So, man, Stefan, thank you so yeah. much for coming on. I I, oh, I really it's good. Like good I, I I never expect anybody to respond and when they do I just I'm like And uh, I mean off camera, you know, or anything if just in general if you have thoughts or questions about getting in the business on a more serious level and management whatever feel, you know, Feel free to call anytime. I will. I, I have to wait yeah, until I gotta wait until the kids go off to college. Um, yeah. But I've definitely been throwing feelers out all over the place of like yeah. what that actually means, and yeah. you know, I have all these these young drivers kind of calling me and texting me and parents and yeah. Oh, cool. And I'm and I'm glad to say that a lot of kind of the feedback I've given them is is what you've said. So. Oh, good. You're giving me confidence, Stefan. Uh, good. You, you can good. bring up the next generation of managers. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank Brilliant. you for thank you thank for you your so time. much. Appreciate it. We'll speak soon. Take care.